Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Director Cecilia Alderando's Landfall speaks to the often competing visions of post-hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico's future, foregrounding the entire film is the $72 billion debt crisis that predates the storm and has worsened its impact. Alderondo's film explores the intertwining legacies of colonialism, exploitative industries, and disaster capitalism, and the barriers to recovery they create. As opportunists look to make profit, they descend on the island and make things incredibly more complicated and more difficult, and the United States government has not made it any better. The film is called Landfall, and we're joined today by the director, Cecilia Alderondo. Cecilia, welcome back to Film School Radio. Hi. Uh, tell me a little bit about the origin of this documentary. I, I feel like it started uh, a long time ago in your mind in terms of the circumstances surrounding Puerto Rico, in particular the debt, which I just I just mentioned. But what was the origin for this? The origin for this is the hurricane in the sense that like many millions of people, uh, Puerto Rican people living in the diaspora, I think I, I had an experience that is pretty common. I would I would dare say to even say is emblematic for those of us uh, that have family in Puerto Rico, um, like many people. Um, and I think most 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 people who aren't Puerto Rican don't realize that more more Puerto Ricans live outside of Puerto Rico than live in Puerto Rico. So there was an experience of those of us uh, in the diaspora of watching in horror as the you know the the storm was battering puerto rico and at the same time being really cut off from our families um and communication with our families there was a period where it was extremely difficult to know what was happening for example in my family i have a lot of extended family in puerto rico but my grandmother in particular at the time was you know homebound in a wheelchair needed 24-hour care and ended up dying about six months after the hurricane um, this was personal. It, the origins were personal and it came from, I think, a very common feeling of wanting to do something, of feeling very impotent, really uh, being enraged at the complete collapse of the government response. And this is what I do. I make films. And I felt like this was one way that I could be of service from the diaspora you know, and, and, and help in my own way. So that's, that was really the impetus. It was, it was, it was born out of emergency, like so many other projects um, that, you know, that we highlight in the film, in fact. Yeah, that's, that's where it started. I think it's important in terms of discussing what had, what happened before uh, Hurricane Maria and what happened afterwards in terms of uh, the relationship of the United States to Puerto Rico. And how that is sort of played out, because for I think most people will know that it is a territory of the United States. It's not a state, although there has been discussions over many, many decades about whether or not it should become a state. It has some representation in the United States Congress, but it doesn't. No, have, doesn't uh, actually. Oh, no, um, no, I'm sorry. OK, we have a non-voting uh, representative named okay. Jennifer Gonzalez. So it. In all, for all intents and purposes, we actually have zero representation. In it's more ceremonial is what you're saying. Yes, it's entirely yeah. ceremonial. Yeah. And I would say 
I prefer to call Puerto Rico what I think it really is, which is a colony. Okay. Um, the word territory I find to be very euphemistic and kind okay. of glossed over. Okay. All right, fair. So that's fair. I think that's a very fair assessment. Uh, well, then let's talk about the relationship between the United States and Puerto Rico and how it's impacted, as I said, not only uh, before, prior to Maria, but after Maria. I, I, I was actually just doing another interview and somebody was asking me about the change in federal administration and also, you know, the, the, the most recent elections, you know, the changes in Congress as well as in the presidency of the United States. And what I was trying to explain is that it may seem like that makes a huge difference for Puerto Rico, but in the most material sense, both Republicans and Democrats really kind of uh, want to keep the status quo in Puerto Rico. Um, Puerto Rico is, is a colony. And I think it is a colony. It has long been a colony for very strategic reasons. Yeah. Uh, economic, military, these are all things that we signal in the film, that we, we, we signal this long history of colonial exploitation. And I think really the, the 20th century, if anything has defined the relationship between Puerto Rico and the United States, it's been a kind of lie. It's been a lie of, of the United States helping Puerto Rico when in fact, what Puerto Rico has been has been a kind of laboratory for all kinds of, of economic, medical, you know, military experimentation. I think it's one thing that's most immediately or, or I say con contemporarily important here is that it's been the Democrats actually who've had the biggest impact on Puerto Rico in recent history, which it's President Obama yeah. who actually signed the legislation that in 2016, that is called PROMESA, that is currently exerting a stranglehold on Puerto Rican economics, which I can go into more detail if you want to understand what PROMESA is. But in general, it's a seven person board that's not elected, not voted on by Puerto Rican people. These seven people are not necessarily Puerto Rican themselves, and they control the purse strings in Puerto Rico. And they have presided over an austerity program that has closed hundreds of schools, that is threatening the pensions of many uh, Puerto Ricans of retirement age, uh, privatized the electric grid. I can say more, but it's an odious legislation and it was Obama who signed it. By the way, the, the electrical grid, the, the electric company, it was probably the single most valuable asset for the Puerto Rican people. They owned it. And over the course of these last few years, it's essentially been taken uh, away from them, the control of that is that fair? Is that right? Yeah, and I think I think what you can see is a pattern, and this is something that is is one of the themes of the film, is what happens to a society when you go from believing in something like the public good, the common good, this idea that we, the people, should own things like our right to education or health care or electricity, and then you privatize it. And so what you see at work in Puerto Rico, people often think of Puerto Rico as this little tiny place in the Caribbean that, that really nobody pays attention to. When in fact, what the film argues is that everyone should be paying attention to Puerto Rico because precisely because it's so small, it allows for these kinds of experiments, right. like, and I mean, massive social ideological experiments to say what we want in society, what we believe in is a private world, not a public world. Right. Um, right. And so, you know, that's really what I think is at play. The privatization of the electric grid is part of a much bigger pattern. I could not agree with you more in terms of this private this drive to privatize everything. In other words, the the billionaire class has decided to 
socialize cost and privatize profit. That's kind of the mantra, right? Yeah. And well, what I was going to say is the way part of the way you see this play out in the film is one of the phenomena that we chronicle in the film is the arrival of these sort of evangelists of cryptocurrency and, and new technologies. And what comes along with that project is, is a project of privatization. And, and there is a, a scene in the film, for example, where it's at a cryptocurrency conference in a very fancy hotel. It's supposed to be kind of a closed door session. And the speaker is uh, giving a speech about why Puerto Rico needs to be privatized and he literally says, yes. all you need is cops. Yes. Everything else can be privatized. And, and then he says to a room of mostly uh, uh, white men, uh, non-Puerto Ricans, says, you should be thinking about how to do it because you can make money doing it. He says a very clear, literally a quote yes. of what he says. Yes. This man is, is actually not a cryptocurrency evangelist. He is chairman of the board of the Ayn Rand Foundation. And, and for those who don't know, Ayn Rand is the godmother of free market ideology. Yeah. And so there's a, this, this really sinister alignment yeah. in this moment of so-called hurricane recovery, where what you have is ideologues coming in and saying, you know, the path to recovery is privatization. Um, and so this kind of cryptocurrency wave is, is, a, is really a kind of Trojan horse. Yes for this kind of thinking. You, you've taken me down the path, exact path I was going to go down with, with all this because absolutely, I could not agree more. And you're watching this, and as I described in the introduction, this disaster capitalism, which Naomi Klein has been talking about for years, is happening all over the world. But in, and, and this comes back to something that I believe has been happening for a while, and it's really starting to take root. And that is that billionaires in around the world have a lot more in common with themselves than they do with the countries that they come from. That we're seeing the emergence of this kind of world order of people who essentially, especially in poorer countries or less developed countries or countries that are going through some economic hard times, can literally buy these countries. The Chinese government is doing that in Africa now. They're literally just buying huge swaths of land and essentially taking over these countries by virtue, not of the military, by virtue of their accounting, by virtue of moving sort of the money around. And I think we're seeing this. And this is, you are, Puerto Rico, kind of the canary in the coal mine of a lot of what is coming. And I could not agree with more. And that's really so much of what this film is about. It's not only that, this sort of, bigger picture, 20,000 foot view of Puerto Rico, but how it impacts the lives of the people who are living there. Yeah, this is um, this is it. And this is what I've been saying. I think we really have to invert the way we talk about Puerto Rico outside of Puerto Rico. Yeah. Because again, um, the way people have tended to talk about Puerto Rico is as a place, if, to, if it's supposed to be talked about at all, it's a place to sort of be pitied or feel sorry for, or maybe help in its recovery. Um, when in fact, I think that Puerto Rico is, is as you said, a kind of canary in a coal mine. It is a place where um, these kinds of experiments are actually bearing out. And, you know, the economic policy of, of Puerto Rico, and, you know, one other thing I wanted to say about the origins of this project, they were both personal and political in the sense that right after the hurricane, I read an article in the Washington Post, I believe, and it's written by an academic named Yarimar Bonilla, 
who writes a lot about Puerto Rico and its crisis. And she wrote the one article that I felt was on like, no pun intended, on the money, uh, which she said, why would anyone want to, the, the title of the article was, why would anyone want a hurricane? Because someone will get rich. And up until this point, no one in the mainstream media was talking about this, the, the connection between the hurricane and the disaster that preceded it, which was the debt crisis. Right. And Daddy and Bonilla was the first person I, I could see publicly connecting the dots and saying, this hurricane is quote unquote, the perfect storm. This is, this is actually a tremendous opportunity for, for policies that were already at work in Puerto Rico. The tax breaks that are currently making it possible for a, a wealthy person to relocate to Puerto Rico and escape all federal income, income tax, for example, pay 4% corporate tax. These tax breaks were already there before the hurricane. And what you've seen since the hurricane is an acceleration of all those same forces that were already at play. Yeah. We're talking with uh, director Cecilia Alderondo. Her film Landfalls won a number of awards. Congratulations in all of the awards, Spirit Awards, uh, awards at Tribeca. There's many, many. How many of you won now? Uh, Cinema Eye Award for uh, Spotlight Award. Uh, as I said, uh, Spirit Awards for uh, Truer Than Fiction nomination, I should say, but also a number of awards for the film. Quinn, the one of the evangelicals for the cryptocurrency, he was honest about about what he's up to on camera. Let's put it that way. And uh, when he was talking to these people, it just I'm going to use some words here. It's just so much bullshit. And fortunately, in the film, there are people that are there who are who are activists, who are concerned people. Call him on it. Call uh, what is his name? The Pierce. What's the Brock Pierce? Brock Pierce. Boy, did he look like something out of a Christopher Guest film, right? I Me, mean, honestly, I, my God. Uh, so all of this stuff is this libertarian and run kind of BS about absolving, sort of eliminating government, eliminating any sort of accountability and allowing these people whose only concern is about this kind of uh, survivalist, Darwinistic view of capitalism. And these people are, I mean, just, it's so well laid out here and I'm so glad you're able to capture it, but tell me a little bit about your reaction as you're watching, as you're going through this kind of process. And um, and if you have disagreed with anything I'm saying, please feel free. Sure. I mean, I think one thing to give a little bit of context, so we're talking a little further about the, the cryptocurrency through line of the film. Um, you know, I, I first learned about the arrival of this sort of band of merry men uh, through a New York Times article that was written about Brock Pierce, who you mentioned. So I think it's important to note that Brock Pierce really is the kind of the leader of this movement in Puerto Rico. And he moved there after the hurricane. Uh, he says to to help in the recovery of Puerto Rico. But really what, what he is, is he's a gentrifier. He is a land grabber. He has a wolf in sheep's clothing and he's got quite a lot of resources. He's, yeah. he is wealthy, he's powerful. And as you mentioned, he's one of these people that can, can really kind of throw his weight around in a, in a place like Puerto Rico, whereas he wouldn't necessarily get taken quite so seriously in other places. He has enough sort of savvy to generally avoid <laughs> scrutiny uh, on a lot of fronts. Part of the reason why Quinn is in the film in, in a more open way because he frankly, I think was 
comfortable being on camera in a way that Brock is himself is not. And so it sort of enabled me to let someone like Quinn make the argument because Quinn is, is more of a charlatan, right? I mean, they're all charlatans, but Brock is a charlatan with teeth. Well, um, I, I'm sorry, but Quinn reminded me of a wannabe. He's a wannabe Brock. Right. I mean, he's, this is why we have a shot of him hugging Brock when he finally sees him. He's actually a, a Brock super fan. This is just part of what I had to do to make the film. And, and, you know, I really wanted there to be a through line of antagonism so that people will see that the people that are working while everyone is in chaos and trying to recover and trying to put their lives back together, you have this opening for these opportunists to come in. And so for me, it was very important to, to get this part of the story out there because Generally speaking, I think even people in Puerto Rico have been so overwhelmed with getting their lives back together that they haven't necessarily focused that much on them. And there's a way in which I think that they they take up too much space and that's kind of what they're what they want. So I tried very hard not to let them run away with the film. Their their clownishness can do that. It felt important to kind of connect the dots. And so Quinn is somebody who helps us connect those dots. There are other parts of Puerto Rico, parts of the people who are dealing with the stories to be told in the film, the young people we meet at the very beginning of the film who are talking about just life. How, how are we going to navigate? There's a, the people who were um, there in the demonstrations to essentially oust Ricardo Rosseo and the demonstrations. And again, I think that's an important, let's talk a little bit about sort of the pushback, the resistance. How are people, as they begin to find their uh, grounding in the aftermath of Maria, how are we responding now? What is the situation in Puerto Rico? The situation in Puerto Rico is difficult. You know, unfortunately, I don't have the best news on on the contemporary front. People ask me, well, how are things going in Puerto Rico? I mean, part of the part of the reason we, the film, and I don't want to spoiler alert the film the film ends on a rather ambivalent note on the one hand it ends with this really incredible victory popular victory in which you know the people of puerto rico took to the streets and in 12 days of protest managed to get a democratically elected governor to resign from office so i think that the american people frankly could take a page from the puerto rican playbook because that is a pretty tremendous victory. The, you know, the top ranking government official in Puerto Rico resigned because people took to the streets. That being said, um, he's trying to make a comeback right now. You know, as um, Lale, who's sort of the voice of the film, says towards the end of the film, Lale says something like, you know, you can remove the head, but the monster still remains. And the reality is, is that the monster still remains in Puerto Rico. It's, it's still a colony of the United States. There's still a tremendous amount of political corruption. The the same party that Rosselló is from is still in power. There's uh, a lot of still. There's still there's a lot of the debt has not been audited. It has not been canceled, which frankly is what I think should happen. And Promesa remains the legislation of the land, the the legislation that Obama signed. And so without something like Promesa being revoked without abolishing the tax benefits that are present. Uh, uh, there are so many things that need to happen in Puerto Rico in order to make it continue to be a place that's livable for the people that deserve to live there. Unfortunately, things are things are difficult right now. And I think a lot of the people that I care about are very tired, are worried, are concerned. And what I say to people um, outside of Puerto Rico is that this is why we made the film is that we, it's a, you know, to a certain extent, it's, it isn't, it is a cry for attention. And we're trying to say, please note what's happening in Puerto Rico, because the thing about 
these kinds of sinister activities is that they happen in part because people don't speak out against them. The more people un actually understand Puerto Rican reality, the, the more difficult it becomes to advance these kinds of crackpot schemes yeah. that are currently at work there. I think these crypto guys are just bottom feeding scum. I really, I really do. I really, I have a, just a visceral hatred of these people and uh, it's hard. I don't know if you can tell. And um, I want to let people know they can see landfall on uh, PV, on POV on the PBS uh, series POV on July 12th. You can go to the website, which is landfallfilm.com. Check out more about the film. I just think it's tremendous work. I'm so glad that it's getting the recognition. And if it's a glimmer of light for people to see and, and watch the film and understand a little bit more about what's going on in your beloved country, I think we're all better off for it and uh, keep de demonstrating. I love the idea of 350,000 people being in the streets of Washington, D.C. or Los Angeles or New York, because we're, we're, we are heading towards Puerto Rico in more ways than we know. From the film again is uh, Landfall. We've been talking with the director, uh, Cecilia Alderondo. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music